Today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, as Pastor Craig mentioned a few minutes ago, a day when we draw our attention to the creator of life and his purposes, agreeing with the truth of his word. I want to read to you Psalm 139, 13 through 16. This is out of the NLT translation. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. At Bethel Church, we celebrate and we value life because God celebrates and values life. Amen? If you have a Bible, would you turn to Psalm 27? We'll have some ushers coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We'll get one in your hands or you can scan the QR code. We encourage everybody to be in the Word of God. Psalm 27, thanks for being here in person. Those joining us online and traditions and in kindred, we're gonna be in Psalm 27. One of the things that you'll notice right away uh, in Psalm 27 is uh, a difference between the first six verses and then verses seven through 14. There's like this major pivot uh, in those two sections. In fact, some people have speculated that there are actually two different Psalms that have kind of just been uh, mushed together, so to speak. But I think uh, actually, as, as many others, is that it actually is just one psalm. And what you will see is just kind of the emotional roller coaster that David goes through. And sometimes we go through as we experience life and as we experience God. And maybe it takes a week sometimes, maybe it takes a month. But sometimes, frankly, it's all in one day. Number one, stand strong in his truth. The first three verses, let's begin with verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So David begins, like in so many other Psalms, expressing the trouble that he is experiencing in his life because of enemies. But at the same time, in this particular Psalm, what we quickly pick up on is his confidence. He has this incredible confidence in life regardless what was happening. You can hear it in his voice, you can hear it in his words. And he begins by declaring, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. It's kind of like um, a post-game interview, so to speak. When the reporter asks, walk with me through the touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter or uh, allowing you, know, you to go up two scores ahead late in the fourth. And the athlete responds like this, first of all, I would like to give praise and honor and thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love when athletes do that. They, they seize the moment when everybody wants to make it about them and they redirect all attention to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. David is doing exactly that. And while we may not be directly faced with enemies who want us dead and gone, we sure can relate in other ways, some will say, I have all kinds of people who hate me, who disagree with me, who, who wanna rip me apart, who wanna shred my integrity, make light of my beliefs, discount what I stand for, argue with me, who wanna silence me, who wanna accuse me. And the reference I made just a second ago was in reference to 
uh, C.J. Stroud of the Texans, who last week after the game in the post-game interview, they asked him a question very similar to what I just said, the reporter, and he begins with, the, first of all, hold on a second, before we talk about the game, I wanna give all praise and honor to my Lord Jesus, my Savior. And wouldn't you know it that NBC and other networks, if you go back and try to find it now, have removed that. David says, I don't have to let my life be gripped with fear because the Lord is my light, he is my salvation, and he's my stronghold. If we miss or we assume the source of his confidence, because we could walk away and go, man, he's a really confident guy. If we miss it, we miss the point. Because the difference between arrogance and confidence is the source from which it comes, right? Arrogance is always from the flesh. And confidence, while sometimes it could be from the flesh, is usually from the Lord. Confidence means the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It's this firm trust. And what David is reminding us here, and for that matter, in many of the Psalms that he writes, is as believers in Christ, we have the creator and the sustainer of all things, our God who lacks nothing, as our source. It's like last week in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, you are with me. You are my rod, you are my staff. You comfort me. Though my world has fallen apart, though maybe I'm overwhelmed, though I'm faced with trouble, though this is, this is so heavy, though it feels like this trial will never end, and though this doesn't make one iota of sense in my life, based on my experience of you, Lord, you are my light, you are my salvation, and you are my stronghold. I have a firm trust in knowing you, knowing you are fully aware, knowing that you care about every single little detail of my life, whether life is great and I can't think of one thing to be concerned about, or it seems as though like life is like I'm a punching bag and I've just taken one blow after another. My confidence is in you, to care for me, to protect me, to lead me, and to provide for me. That's what David's saying. Look at the metaphors David uses in describing his experience of God's presence in his life. The Lord is my light and salvation, meaning he, <clears throat> he is my understanding, he's my joy, and he's my rescue. David did not despair in darkness, and he, and he looked to the Lord for rescue, knowing that he was surrounded all around him by threat. That's a key word, hang on to that, threat. Sometimes our confidence in God to rescue us isn't immediate, but it's always eternal. His rescue will always bring relief, not only from threat, but sometimes only by his presence on the journey with us, reminding us that he's there with us. Salvation promises us rescue eternally from all threats. The Lord is my stronghold, my defense. He's describing a place of protection for those who take refuge. Having knowledge and experience, two key words, having knowledge and experience leads to confidence in the Lord. Knowledge and experience. 
There is a sense of polarization when, when he confidently points to the greatness of God when compared to his personal experience of life, when he's looking at life and he's pointing to the greatness of God, being surrounded all the while by evil men and armies. His view and confidence of God so far outweighed his experience of this life that it brought him to a place where he's able to say, there is nothing I fear. If you came to me and asked, Andy, um, I'm wondering, I've <clears throat> got a question for you. Could you build me a house? Yeah, sure. I mean, no problem. What's the big deal, right? Well, have you ever built a house before though? No, <clears throat> never. But there's YouTube, right? Would you have confidence in me to build you a house? Of course not. Because you have no knowledge and no experience of me building a house. Your confidence in God is directly related to your knowledge and your experience of God. Little knowledge and little experience equals little confidence in God. David was surrounded by threat, but had absolutely no fear. His confidence in God was battle-tested. Fear's not always bad, right? It's a natural response, it's an instinct when, when threat appears in our life. The fear David speaks of isn't a, a su surprise incident though. When, when we enter this mode of fight or flight, that's not what he's talking about. His response was the result of knowing that he was surrounded by evil men and by evil in general. It's the difference of you or me uh, walking down the street and we see somebody, it's starting to get dark and somebody's running straight at us and we think they're gonna attack us. Or looking around and seeing the evil that prevails and the people who hate the idea of you standing for what is biblically right. Do you experience any threats? Let's zoom out a bit from your typical everyday life and see how our confidence in the Lord will be tested, particularly in the area of the most pervasive and powerful cultural trends today. Let's talk about a few threats. The marginalizing of Christian values, meaning the removal of Christian symbols in public spaces to downplaying Christian holidays and the removal of Christian thought and entertainment media, exactly what I described about C.J. Stroud. Or Christians being stereotyped as out of touch, judgmental bigots, all due to the decreasing exposure to Christian teachings leading to misconceptions about faith, or pressure to conform to areas like sexuality and gender issues and views on marriage and the sanctity of life, or social discrimination leading to more legal challenges for Christian business owners who wanna stand for what they believe is right, or backlash on social media from a growing number of people who despise Christians, the removal of free practice and expression of Christians. Internal conflict, um, certainly you've experienced this, the internal conflict for believers who live surrounded by, by secular values and who adhere to Christian teaching and many Christians are forced with how to live out their faith authentically in a world that is increasingly at odds with your faith. Or gender ideology on school sports. Girls will one day be forced to compete with young men who identify as female, making it increasingly difficult for young ladies to compete for championships and college scholarships. 
or the mandatory use of pronouns in a workplace, or the mandatory bathroom access in schools in a workplace, or the banning of non-affirming parents from adoption and foster care, calling them abusive. But those are the obvious ones. But what about, what about the evil one? The threat of the evil one attacking you and your family in your marriage. The threat of our own families standing up against us. The threat of our own sinful nature. So David is responding to a known and familiar experience, not an unexpected one. None of the things I mentioned are a surprise attack. They have been lurking for quite some time because without knowledge and experience of who God is and what he stands for, we will buckle at the knees. While we are called to live in the tension of truth and grace, there is lurking, there's this lurking threat and influence to our faith, causing us to flounder sometimes in our confidence and the source of our confidence. David is saying, stand strong in the truth. Barna, I don't know if you've heard that name, but Barna's research, this is mind-blowing. Barna's research shows that only 17% of Christians who consider their faith important and who attend church regularly actually have a world Christian worldview. 17%. Worldview meaning a particular philosophy of life or, or the conception of the world, how a person sees the world, the lens they look through or the filter that they use. And he goes on to say, What stood out most to us in his research was how stark the shift was between the boomer and the Gen X generations. We expected millennials to be most influenced by other worldviews, but the most dramatic increase in support for these ideals occurs with the generation before them. It's no surprise then that the impact we see today in our social fabric is so pervasive given that these ideas have been taking root for two generations. He goes on, the challenge with, co- with competing worldviews is that there are fragments of similarities to some Christian teachings and some may recognize and latch onto these ideas not realizing they are a distortion of biblical truths. Informed thinking is essential to developing and maintaining a healthy biblical worldview and faith as well as being able to have productive dialogue with those who espouse other beliefs. What? we share in common with David in Psalm 27 is threat. Not identical in nature, but any threat invites us to decide where will we place our confidence. We live in an unpredictable life, anchored to a predictable God. Stand strong and true. Verse two, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. 
Interesting verse. If you think of David and you think back in his life, it might sound familiar because there's a good possibility in verse two, what he's referencing is Goliath. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Could it be that what David is recalling here is this face-to-face encounter with Goliath? Remember how uh, the giant Philistine told young David in 1 Samuel 17, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled, and we all know how it ended. David says, it is my enemies who will stumble and fall. Again, his confidence is, is in God and, and it was anchored to his, his prior rescue and his experience of God. Verse three, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I will be confident because God has time and time and time again shown his light and his rescue in my life. He is my stronghold, he's my strength. Stand strong in truth. Secondly, stand strong in his presence. Verse four and six, and he goes on. One thing he says, I ask of the Lord. This only thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Verse five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. The first three verses are, uh, were celebration. Thank you, God, for being my light, for, for my salvation, for, for being my stronghold. He was celebrating the truth. And now in verse four, there's this kind of this dramatic shift from celebration to contemplation. And his confidence in the Lord was not only in what God could do and not only what God would do, but also in who God is. Celebration of God can lead to contemplation. In the midst of celebration, at times the Holy Spirit can help us remember God's faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever been in the midst of the times when we're worshiping and we're singing praises, and all of a sudden the the Holy Spirit just kind of reminds you in the midst of you singing praises of God's faithfulness. David's confidence is now in reference to the presence of God, meaning the presence of God. He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in his shelter, this hiding place. And so this longing quite possibly might be a revealing of David's heart right before he goes into battle. He's anticipating protection for himself and his people in the house or the dwelling of God. He's expressing this greater desire to experience the presence of God and God's presence. There is no place for fear. In the presence of God, there is no place for fear. It is abolished. He says, one thing I ask, that I can live in the tabernacle of God where his presence resides. I never wanna leave this place. I always wanna be in your presence because in your presence I'm safe and I'm secure. And the temple that David speaks of was the visible expression of God's presence, not like, unlike the, the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember in the Old Testament. The longing for God's dwelling place ought not be too foreign to us because it also speaks of our one day permanent, eternal kingdom and presence of God, which we all long for. But things have changed 
since the time of David and since the time of the tabernacle. While we wait our eternal home and being in the presence of God for all eternity, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Allow me just quickly to walk you through the history of God's presence and our longing for it. The temple is always represented by the presence or the image of God. Think about that. The image of God. And that is what God does as the finishing act of creation. We were created in the what? The image of God. He places his image into his creation. In some way, the initial creation was pictured as a temple. And then there was the tent of meeting, you might remember, uh, before the Exodus. And then came the, the portable tabernacle that they would carry around after the Exodus while the Israelites traveled in the desert. So remember, there was a physical place often where it was represented, the, the presence of God was in that place. Then came Jesus and, and he answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And now we wait for the final temple mentioned in Revelation as the Lord Almighty in the final heaven or the kingdom. So David's crying out, man, this one thing I ask for, I just wanna be in your presence every single day. I don't wanna leave this place. But in the time of David, God's presence was, this, was manifested in a location. Like I said earlier, like the Ark of the Covenant or the Tabernacle or, or the Temple, David longed to be in the presence, which meant a location or a place. He had been there before, and therefore he says, this one thing I ask, I've been here, I've experienced this. One thing I ask, if I, if I had to say there's only one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I just wanna be in your presence, Lord, all day and all night and never leave. The safety and the security that we long for makes sense because in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. You've often heard, maybe even from me, the idea of this God-shaped hole. Every person has this void in their spirit, in their, in their life, that can only be filled by God. And the God-shaped hole is longing of the human heart for something outside itself, something that's transcendent. And God made humanity for his eternal purpose and only God can feel that desire for eternity, a whole or a longing for something greater than self. And the problem is that, that many have recognized the whole in their life, in their spirit, in their soul, and you know that something's missing, you know that there's a void, and so many and all of us at one time or another have picked up a shovel and, and as we just walk through life and we carry the shovel and we're just shoveling all kinds of stuff into that hole, right? Anything we see that we think, oh, this will help, this will work, and we just continually try to fill that hole on our own to make the emptiness go away. 
David recognized his longing and knew that only God could satisfy. It makes sense knowing what David knew that he would say, oh, this one thing I ask. This one thing I seek, may I just stay here. So imagine if we didn't have the Holy Spirit. Imagine, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have, we're not the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and imagine that God's manifested presence was only in this room. We might say the same thing, right? We might say, when I come to church, man, I'm experiencing God and I want to be in the presence of God. I never want to leave this place. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And we are the dwelling place of the Spirit, 24-7. And so what David was experiencing in a physical presence, in a tabernacle, we can experience every single day, every minute of the day. Imagine us saying the same thing, don't let me leave. Stand strong in his truth, stand strong in his presence while the while there he planned to gaze upon the Lord's beauty and to seek and inquire after him. God's beauty is an expression of his goodness. Verse six, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Verse six says this, rejoicing casts out fear. Thirdly, stand strong in his goodness. The last seven verses. Verse seven, he says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So we go from celebration in the first few verses to contemplation in verses four through six. And now you're gonna see just a little bit of frustration in verses seven through 14. Remember how I said, some people said that these are like two different Psalms that have been mashed together. But listen to the shift that's happening. David had this sense at times that God was hiding from him. He even says to God, do not hide your face from me. I'm crying out here, God, and you're not answering me fast enough. He was not angry so much with God, nor did he turn from God. He was more disappointed of God and his, his lack of timely response. And so what did it do? It caused David to seek him even more diligently. So God's invitation for us is to trust him and to go deeper and to go deeper in our understanding of who he is. And one of the ways, friends, he does that is to put us in places of desperately needing him. So what might seem like a delay in response or what might seem like a turning away is actually God allowing us to see even more just how much we need him. Think about it for a second. Imagine if you always immediately responded to your child or if you don't have children, uh, maybe you know somebody has a child, but imagine if every, you just responded immediately to your child. Every time they wanted something, you were right there, Johnny on the spot, and you gave them whatever they wanted. Every time they had a question, you answered it immediately until they reach age four and then you have to Google the answers, right? But just imagine that. They would never get to know you other than the one who is at their every beck and call. Sometimes our children learn just how much we love them through patience, through discipline, through saying no, 
through saying, not yet. Not right now. And he says in verse nine, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. So, so in, in David's desperate cry to God, he gives us the motive. He reveals the motive to us. You have always been my helper. I'm not giving up here, God. I know you all too well. Your faithfulness I can attest to. I know you as my helper. David used God's past help as a reason to ask again for help. The quicker we forget the, the faith hand of God, the quicker we give up asking. Verse nine again, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me. Do not forsake me, God, my savior. Verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And so what he does there is he uses an earthly relationship. Those whom you would think would be his close and loving relationship, my father and my mother, he uses that to emphasize the Lord's care and love. Even if they forsake me, the Lord never will. Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. This is a request of, of this stable footing. Give me stable footing. Give me a, a, an even playing field. Don't allow them to have an edge on me. Verse 12, do not turn me over to the desires of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. That echoes Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. So he's saying, in spite of all that life presents to me, I will witness and experience the goodness of my covenant God, Yahweh. The one who promises to take care of me. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Through it all, because I know I can trust God, I will wait. Through it all, because I know I can trust God, I will wait. To stand in God's presence is an outflow of knowing and experiencing the truth of who God is. To stand in God's goodness is the outflow of being in his presence. I want to leave you with the one thing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why would I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Friends, leave today with confidence. Confidence in his truth, confidence in his presence, and confidence in his goodness. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a great day in the Lord. See you next week.